You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. The saints at Philippi were not exemplary, but uh, they were far better in their behavior. Although, Philippi and the church of Philippi was not without problems. And we'll cite some of those this morning uh, as we look at the text. We had previously looked at Paul's salutary and also his prayer for the saints at Philippi and his thanksgiving for these saints. Now Paul is addressing something that these saints were concerned about. They had received word that Paul was in prison in Rome. Now, uh, as we go through this text, we'll see that they hadn't received any word as to his condition, whether he was alive, whether he had been martyred for the Lord, or what his status was. So Paul's addressing them to give them comfort in this area. So let's open with prayer, and then we'll begin to look in uh, verse 12 of this first chapter. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have recorded and preserved Your Word, and that You have given us hope in the person of and the work of Jesus Christ our Lord. We thank You for the Apostle Paul and how You gifted him and enabled him to pin these letters. And I pray this morning, Father, that You would grant us clarity and understanding as to not only what this servant uh, Paul did and how he honored You with his life as Your servant, but also the truths that apply to us today. And we just praise you and thank you and ask now that you'd guide us through the power and the illumination of your Holy Spirit. And may you be glorified in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We left off in uh, chapter 1 at verse 11. Last time I taught in this passage. We pick up today in verse 12, and I'll read 12 through 14, and then we'll kind of examine that text. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. With uh, this text, I think it's important to review the aspect of the city of Philippi and its origin once again. Uh, Without this history and being refreshed in this history, it is somewhat difficult to get the fullest fullness of this passage. Now, 
the church was planted by Paul in Philippi in his, his second missionary journey. Uh, the city of Philippi was named after Philip II. Now, that may not mean much to many of us, but he was also the father of Alexander the Great. So that gives it a little more perspective. We can understand who this man was. He was a man of determination, this Philip II. He had great energy. He wanted to increase his empire. And in 539 B.C., he seized the throne in Macedonia. And he reigned over this size of this throne, which is approximately the size of Vermont or perhaps Maryland. He set out at once to increase his dominion. And in order to do that, he had to modernize his army. So he did so. Some of the things that he did was to extend the length of their spears, which made it give them advantage in battle. He also taught them to uh, charge in ranks. And he there was a great deal of advancement in their military, which gave them uh, the advantage over any aggressors. He also, by doing this, it was costly. So, in order to cover that cost, he went to this place, uh, Philippi, or what he called later, named after himself. Uh, it was called Crenetis, which was named after river in that area. Now, the commentator for this text says, one of the commentators says, the gold of Crenetis spread itself over a flanks. That is an ancient formation of military infantry. With shields and overlapping spears extended, like an advancement guard opening more gates than a battering ram or catapult. The territorial expansion began by Philip, continued even in a larger scale by his son, Alexander. So there was enormous consequence <clears throat> that followed and flowed out of this con conquest. Now, some commentators say this. It has been said that if Philip and Alexander had not gone east, Paul and the gospel, which he preached, could not have come west. Now, we understand that that is under the providential hand of God. So God allowed this to transpire and open up all this area so that Paul could bring forth the gospel. And through God's providence, working through these men, the conquerors brought about the one world of Hellenistic speech, that is, the Greek-speaking Jews. So, through this conquest, a great deal transpired which furthered the cause of the gospel later on. The city of Philippi was situated about 10 miles inland from the Gulf of Nepalus and the Aegean Sea. The condition of the church at Philippi was it was growing, it was maturing, and the gospel was going forth. 
But that was not without conflict. There were three problems that Paul cited within this little fellowship in Philippi. One, there were some people that were proclaiming the Gospel with wrong motives. And Paul cites this in verse, verses 15 through 17 of this first chapter. They were proclaiming the Gospel out of jealousy and strife. And another problem that he cites is that the he warned them about the Judaizers, these dogs, the mutilators of the flesh. Um, they were tainting and trying to uh, promote Judaism in Philippi. And then, of course, there was the contention between Yodia and Synthachi, where they were having conflict, and he was uh, giving instruction for them to get along. Now, aside from that, the gospel was being promoted and many were coming to know to the knowledge of Christ through Paul's ministry. And the saints at Philippi were faithful in that regard. They wanted to proclaim the gospel and they wanted to further the occasion of the gospel. As we look at this text, Paul had giving his opening and his prayer for them, but he says this now. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the Gospel. So, as he opens up, he says, I want you to understand this. That's what the literal of this passage is saying. I want you to really get this. I want you to understand. He didn't want them to worry about his condition. In fact, Paul had no concern for his body or the physical suffering he was going through. That really was irrelevant to Paul. He was more concerned about the furtherance of the Gospel and by being in prison, was that going to be a hindrance or was it going to advance the Gospel? Paul brings him this good news. My circumstances or my affairs actually seem to be, from a human perspective, dire. But for the greater, the progress of the Gospel has gone forth. He didn't ignore or make light of his imprisonment. He wasn't doing that. He wasn't being flippant at all about this. But what he was doing is showing the greater God was doing through his imprisonment. So, in his circumstances, we can understand this. Paul wasn't altered by his physical circumstances. Whether he was beaten, whether he was shipwrecked, whether he was in dire straits, whether he was suffering from the cold, whether he was being tormented, whether he was being tortured, Paul had one desire, and that is to serve and honor Christ and proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So his imprisonment, uh, he was still a willing servant of Jesus Christ. Uh, The furtherance, that word furtherance there, is actually translated, sometimes translated actually. So Paul was saying that 
This imprisonment is actually bringing a greater opportunity for me to present the Gospel. And we're going to see who he was presenting the Gospel to and what a greater impact it had in Caesar's palace. Paul's difficult circumstances had advanced the Gospel. In Acts 20.24, Paul addressed the Ephesian elders and said this, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of grace of God. Everything else in Paul's life was of lesser importance. Now, progress, the word progress here and the progress of the gospel, it describes moving forward or moving ahead but doing so against obstacles. So it just wasn't going forth. But Paul was bringing forth the gospel with much opposition. And yet God was prospering his word. Paul knew how Satan would resist the gospel and as well as the world. He pointed that out in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. And I'll turn there because it's uh, gives you a deeper understanding of just how great Paul thought of the gospel and how little he thought of his his own concerns. First Thessalonians in chapter two, verse eighteen, he says this: Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. So he understood that the enemy is always in opposition to the gospel. You know, we we think today of all the contemporary circumstances, and yet the world wants to either moralize or demoralize according to whatever their philosophy is. The gospel is the only true transformation. We can do all kinds of things. People spend all kinds of money on political uh, advancements. But that's of no uh, consequence. There's nothing that's going to be gained through that. Only as God brings forth His Word and brings forth His Gospel will individuals be transformed and bring glory to God. In 1 Corinthians 16.9, he said this, A wide door for effective service was opened to me. There were many adversaries, though there were many adversaries. And then again, in Thessalonians, he said, Already we have already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know. We had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. He didn't complain. He didn't resent his hardships. He understood all of that was in God's providence. We can learn much, not only from the truths that Paul brings in here about Jesus Christ and His uh, awesome sacrifice, being fully God, fully man, coming to earth as a man, humbling Himself even to the point of the cross. Paul wanted this message to go forth. He uh, acknowledged uh, that it's unavoidable. 
that we're not going to get, we're going to receive opposition, opposition whenever we bring the gospel. Whether it's to a neighbor, to a friend, to somebody we've never met before, we're always going to receive opposition in some form from the enemy. So we must understand that. That didn't slow Paul down. Because it's God's Word and it's His Holy Spirit that brings forth light and truth. Paul understood the unhindered effectiveness of God's Word and he wanted to advance the Gospel. And that overrid any of his suffering. The roadblocks set up by Satan were they wouldn't stop the progress. Neither would Paul's hardships or his trials or his afflictions. And even the truth that he was bringing forth the Gospel here was going to bring encouragement to the brethren. Not only in Philippi, but also in Rome in which he was imprisoned. That was going to bring great encouragement. God's redemptive truth encouraged these Philippians to defend it. And throughout biblical history, we have to understand, God's chosen men, His servants, accomplished His purpose, although suffering. Now, we can look at all the saints in Hebrews 11, and we also see the example through Joseph, through Job, through Jeremiah, and ultimately through Jesus Christ. Now, John Bunyan makes a comment in regard to this. He said, it was, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He was at this point in prison. And he has made me, oh, excuse me, he was quoting, uh, Genesis 45, and he said this, it was not you who sent me here. This is Joseph speaking. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. Now, when Joseph says he made me a father of over Pharaoh, it wasn't that he was literally in the family of Pharaoh, but what he was doing is carrying out responsibilities for Pharaoh. He had charge under Pharaoh over all things. So God had lifted up Joseph, even though he was falsely accused, put in prison, and suffered for God. He understood that it was allowed by God. And even though they wanted to use it for evil, God meant it for good. We have to understand God's providence over our lives. Now, we don't know what that providence is. We know God's will by His revealed Word. But we don't always understand His providence. That is, His hand working in and through our circumstances and our lives here on earth. And yet, we can have total confidence, as Paul did, in His sovereignty. Many of the rumors that the saints at Philippi heard were true things that happened to Paul. He was still in chains and the future was uncertain, but something else was true. These things were really cause of the advancement of the gospel. Now, verse 13 
Paul says this. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. Now I'm reading out of the New King James. Some translations say the Praetorian guard. Now, this word, it's important to understand that Praetorian early on uh, was understood to mean uh, the palace of the emperor. And the Praetorium represented that palace. But that was before they had more uh, ancient manuscripts. Later on, they discovered that that word had the meaning of the actual Roman guard. Now, I'll give you more enlightenment on that as we go through this. The things that happened to Paul were, were different than what Paul had planned. He hadn't planned on being imprisoned. But... For whatever purpose God was going to use it. He traveled through Syria and then Crete, which is now Turkey, and then through Greece. He even wanted to take the gospel later to Spain after returning once more to Jerusalem and Rome. These plans were not fulfilled. Instead, he found himself in prison. At the time he wrote Philippians, he didn't know if he'd ever be free. He had great hopes that he was going to be released, but he wasn't sure at some point in time whether he would or not. Yet, it was overshadowed by the opportunities that God was granting him. Verse 13, Paul is uh, more excited about the progress of the gospel outside the church. He was now having greater opportunities than ever thought. This imprisonment for the cause of Christ was well known through the whole Praetorian Guard. Now, the Praetorian Guard was originally set up and they used the most skilled soldiers in Rome. At one point, there were 10,000 Praetorians. Now, these were the ones that were specially trained and they protected the emperor and they were strategically placed throughout the city of Rome. These men were highly trained, and much, I guess, the parallel we could use, like currently or contemporary, would be special forces. These Roman soldiers were expert with a spear, with a sword, with a knife, and then skilled in battle and war. So they were not just average soldiers. These were the best of the best. And that's why the emperor appointed them as such. They served for anywhere between 12 and 16 years, these praetorians. That was the length of their service. Speaking to a group of Jewish leaders in Rome during the time Paul wrote Philippians, Paul mentions that he was wearing the chains for the sake of and the hope of Israel. He said that in Acts 28.20. And in Ephesians 6.20, Paul said that he was an ambassador in chains. Paul's chains were somewhat longer than the modern handcuffs. The, the handcuffs that are used today, are they'll go around each wrist, and there's a couple of links between them, and sometimes, depending on the size of the uh, suspect, they'll be double handcuffed. 
But here, the handcuffs that were used in this time, in this period, there was a long chain. And oftentimes, they were chained to a guard. And this was such that Paul had. He was chained, but always had a guard attached to him. So whatever he prayed, whenever he sang praises to the Lord, whenever he spoke with visitors, these guards were in hearing distance. They were able to see Paul under these dire circumstances exhibit joy, peace, love, and also bring forth the gospel to them. Think about it. Paul knew he was in there for Christ because of bringing the gospel of Christ Jesus. He understood that. And so he felt total freedom and exactly exuberant to proclaim this gospel. The chains weren't removed from the prisoner as long as he was in custody, making both escape and privacy impossible. They couldn't go anywhere without this chain. Over the years, it was possible that there were several dozens of guards that were assigned to Paul at various times of his imprisonment. He bore witness not only to the soldiers who he was chained to, but also the second, third, fourth watch. They changed, the guards changed every so often in their uh, duties during the day and night, just as our law enforcement today. They have different uh, sequences of time they work, and this is the same with these guards. Paul was chained to various guards. All these guards were being exposed to him and to the gospel. His cause for Christ was soon well known amongst this praetorian guard. He bore witness not only to the soldiers he was chained to, but then to their next watch. Think about this. These praetorian guards were acquainted with one another, much like our law enforcement today. They've become friends. They're joined in, uh, in unity in many ways, uh, of camaraderie. And the same with these praetorians. So one would come on shift and another one would go off, and they would talk amongst themselves. So the gospel was spreading from Paul to the praetorian that he was chained to to the other guards that they associated with, some of which were in Caesar's palace. So as we look at the emperor's palace and these praetorians spreading the gospel, as they became aware of it, Paul was elated. In Acts 23-25, the governor's palace in Caesarea is called Herod's Praetorium. At that point, it was translated in household. But later, of course, we know it refers to people, guards, the Praetorian guard. The word palace is translated Praetorian in the ancient manuscripts or ancient translators. Since the 17th century, as I mentioned, with the newer discovery of man, the ancient manuscripts, they changed that understanding. And of course, the context here tells us that this wasn't a palace. Paul was chained to these guards. 
he was speaking to these guards. And they, in turn, were speaking to others. The Praetorian Guard was made up, as I mentioned, of 10,000 handpicked. It was established by Caesar Augustus, who was emperor at the time of the Lord's birth. Luke 2.1. These men were dispersed throughout the city and kept the peace, much as law enforcement does today. Now, when these members of the Praetorian Guard served their tour of duty, what they got at the end, they were highly honored, and the emperor would grant them uh, land. He would give these servants, these palace guards, a piece of land. So they not only were rewarded, but they were highly honored and esteemed by the emperor and all of the palace. Yet these hardened soldiers were, you would think, would be the last ones to be affected by the gospel. But those are the very ones that God had prepared their hearts to receive the gospel. Many of them were being saved. Paul must have lived uh, with great joy reaching these guards for Christ. He had every right to be thinking of himself. But yet, instead, he brought forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, at first, they may not have listened to Paul. But think of it. Being chained or being in a close proximity with the Apostle Paul, what are they going to hear? His praises? his songs and hymns, and they're going to hear the gospel. This man was full of joy, peace, love. All the fruit of the Spirit were exhibited to these palace guards. These praetorian guards were now seeing the gospel living through Paul. When we talk about the gospel, it is the complete understanding of what Jesus Christ has done in his birth, death, burial and resurrection, a perfect sinless life, a sacrificial death, and then raised on the third day. We have to understand that's the gospel in its context from Scripture. But as we receive the gospel and we conform to the gospel and we, by God's grace, are saved through God's grace by faith, then the gospel lives through us. It doesn't stop at hearing and receiving Christ by faith. We should be living the gospel every day. That's what Paul was doing here. You don't have to be an apostle to live for Jesus Christ. We are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. We have the power of God's Holy Spirit working in and through us. The only thing that hinders that is our sin. But we must keep close accounts with that. That is, we need to confess any known sin and any sin that may affect us. Paul here understood that life of walking by the Spirit. He lived that before these praetorian guards. So at first they may have been a little apprehensive and thought this this is a joke. This guy's some religious fanatic. Remember, In Rome, there are all kinds of uh, cults 
all kinds of idolatry everywhere. The emperor himself was perverted. Uh, as Cornell pointed out, which I pointed out earlier in the introduction, numerous emperors were homosexual, practicing homosexual. Paul understood the impact that this was going to have. Even though they had wicked leaders, Paul, under that wicked rule, was going to advance the gospel. He understood. It wasn't him. Paul was just a servant, as all of us are. He understood God working through him as he yielded to God's Holy Spirit. There were some uh, false accusations against Paul, and those proved to be false as he lived out the life of Christ in chains. We don't know how many became Christians, but they, they began not only receiving the gospel, they also proclaimed the gospel. Paul says this, it was spread throughout Caesar's household. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. He says this over in chapter 4, verse 22. The news about Paul spread throughout the city of Rome. And for two years, many visited his rented quarters. Later on, we see that in Acts 28. What many people would see as a hindrance, Paul thought, as the progress as the gospel of the gospel. Verse 14, Paul says this, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident of my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, when he says, and most of the brethren, who is he speaking of? Well, Paul here is speaking about the brothers in Christ, the brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not talking about his Hebrew brethren. He's speaking about believers. Now, in Rome, it was primarily Gentile converts. Most of the converts in Rome were Gentile. There were some Jews remaining there, but they had been exiled earlier on. So when we look at this, group of believers in Rome, they understood the persecution that came upon Christians. They saw Christians being persecuted ruthlessly. And when Paul was in prison, they were afraid. They didn't know what was going to happen to him. But because of his boldness, they became bold. They brought forth the gospel. Paul knew that these chains would not stop God from doing what he wanted to do. He didn't care about I had a friend a few years back when I was in Kootenai County. He was, him and his wife went to our Sunday school. Young man, he worked at the hospital there in Kootenai. And he, uh, he got cancer. And he was a timid sort of young man. He was a great guy, loved the Lord. But when it came to the gospel, he was really timid. But in his last few weeks of being hospitalized, he became bold as a lion. And one day when I was sitting with him, he said, you know, Jess, I used to be really uh, fearful of the gospel, giving the gospel out. He said, I, w I wasn't ashamed of the gospel, but I was afraid of what people would say about me and what they might think. But he said, you know what? I'm dying. 
Now all of a sudden I realized how foolish that was. Anyone that stepped in that room, any nurse, any doctor, any visitor, was going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That fear was taken away. Now it took this disease to accomplish that in him. But believe me, for the last months of his life, God used him mightily. That fear was banished. There was no hostility. There was hostility in the set of uh, against Christianity in Rome, which Christianity at that time was called the way. And believers began to see Christians threatened. Uh, their livelihood was threatened. Many of them were being imprisoned and tortured. So when Paul, of course, was in prison, that's what they thought. They really didn't have the word, what, what was currently going on. That's why one of the motivations for Paul writing this epistle. He wanted them to know, I'm okay. No, I'm here. I'm in prison. Didn't say anything about his physical condition. All he said what is what God was doing in advancement of that gospel. He was using Paul, even in those conditions, which made these Christians bolder. They didn't care once again. They were in Rome. They could be persecuted. They could lose their job. They could be threatened. They could be martyred for the sake of the gospel. Yet now these Christians were becoming bold. They understood. What does it take for us to have that boldness? What does it take for us to set aside the fear of man and understand one of the purposes that God has us here is to pray, bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, to glorify him with our lives and to point the unsaved, the unregenerate to the Lord Jesus Christ with the gospel. That's what Paul did. His courage, that was from the Lord. His boldness, that was from the Lord. That boldness was transferred to the saints in Rome and the saints in Philippi. They were becoming greatly encouraged. They saw under these dire conditions that the Apostle Paul was bringing forth the truth of the gospel, even though he himself was suffering greatly. Let's close. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, that it's not our circumstances that we should have any focus on, but indeed the glorious and great gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that by your grace you have saved us through faith. Even that is not of ourselves. And, Father, we thank you for the opportunities that you bring us to proclaim the truths of this gospel. We thank you for your servant Paul who spoke boldly and who was able by your empowerment to bring forth truth that transformed these guards and this whole Caesar's palace during this period of time. And yet your word is still transforming people today and throughout all of the church age. We thank you Lord, for your love, for your word, we ask now that you would be glorified through our songs and hymns and through the preaching and proclamation of your word as Jim brings us your word. We just ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. 
If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.